Well, this morning, uh, as we uh, prepare for uh, the uh, High Holy Days, for those of you that may uh, not be uh, aware, uh, what we call the High Holy Days is traditionally uh, Rosh Hashanah and, uh, and Yom Kippur, right? Rosh Hashanah in the Bible is the Feast of Trumpets. We read about it uh, in Leviticus uh, uh, chapter 23. Uh, and we read there, basically all it says is on the first day of the seventh month, which is already a holiday, Rosh Chodesh, the first day of every month, is actually a holy day. But the first day of the seventh month is like extra holy, like a double, double holiness. Okay? Uh, and uh, on that day, uh, the ram's horn is blown and What's interesting uh, there is that it doesn't exactly say why. It just says it's a memorial, it's a remembrance. But it doesn't say a remembrance of what. It just says it's a remembrance. Uh, and then you really don't read much about uh, this holy day too much. You read it a little bit here, a little bit there, but there's no like major passage uh, about Rosh Hashanah. Okay? Uh, and so when you look at it in its context, you might say the syntax of the holiday uh, is that it's 10 days before Yom Kippur. And so it wakes us up to get us, to get us ready for uh, Yom Kippur, uh, for the great day of, uh, of atonement, when the entire nation would come and we would say, like using today's line, to reconnect with God, to uh, uh, confess sins and to have the uh, offering uh, be brought by the high priest into the Holy of Holies and so on and so forth. And, uh, and now it's interesting, though, um, that um, there are those uh, who believe that uh, originally that Sukkot was actually the, the main day. This is very interesting. And over the next few weeks, we have enough services that we'll be able to cover all of this. Okay, maybe twice, all right? But um, uh, that Sukkot was the main day, and that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur uh, were actually holy days preparing for Sukkot, which is a very interesting thought. Because in uh, Judaism today, Sukkot is actually not part of the high holy days. Sukkot is a, uh, a holiday that takes place beginning five days after Yom Kippur, but the focus, the main focus, is on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which are important holidays uh, of reminding us of who God is, reminding us of who we are. And uh, as we said, even at the, you know, at the beginning of our service, that even though we know that our sins are forgiven in Messiah Yeshua, we still sin, we still are, have a need to repent, we still have a need to uh, be reconciled to God so that we can truly participate in uh, the covenant blessings uh, in, um, in the Messiah. Uh, so, you know, in today's uh, Torah portion, the uh, very first line of it is very interesting. Uh, the children of Israel are right there at uh, the plains of Moab. They're about ready to, to uh, enter in. Moses is really giving his last words and he reminds them of something uh, uh, that maybe they should have already known, but it's a great beginning of a message. And he says here in verse 10 of Deuteronomy chapter 29, 
You stand today, all of you, before the Lord your God. You stand today, all of you, before the Lord your God. Not just before Moses, not just before the elders of Israel or before the land itself. Uh, They were standing before the Lord their God. Now, if you uh, have ever been to a uh, a synagogue uh, in in Columbus here or in uh, most uh, uh, cities, uh, there's there's an ark, okay? Uh, The Aron HaKodesh, you know, in Hebrew, it's called the Aron HaKodesh, which means holy ark. It's where the Torah scrolls are kept. Now, uh, in many synagogues, uh, what you have is actually a wall with a big opening in the wall and with doors, you know, opening up or sliding or whatever. And oftentimes really big, you know, and, uh, and it says in Hebrew, oftentimes, uh, at the top of the ark, Dalif ne mi ata omed, right? Which means know before whom you stand. Know before whom you stand. Now, why does it say that? Does it come from this passage of Scripture? No, it doesn't come from this passage of Scripture. Uh, it comes from uh, a little phrase uh, in the Talmud. And uh, for those of you that like to look up these things, it's in Brachot 28b. Okay? Uh, and uh, what it is, it, it's part of a section where there's this discussion about what you do uh, when you go into a synagogue. Okay, and then of course there's a thousand little bunny trails in this discussion because you know that's what the Talmud is basically. It's a discussion. It's like a uh, a continuous conversation. And by the way, that's very important to remember because uh, if you were to say, "Well, the Talmud says that," that doesn't mean that everyone is in agreement with a particular statement. It means that that particular person said this thing in the course of this discussion. Okay. So in this particular uh, discussion, a question is asked of, a, of one of the uh, Rebbe's. Um, uh, you're sick and you didn't come today. Uh, what did you do uh, to, uh, by yourself uh, in order to uh, enter into this uh, sense of worship, even though you couldn't come, even though you were sick? And so he says a whole bunch of different things. But then at the very end, he says... And when you pray, know before whom you stand. Uh, and so uh, that's where that little phrase comes from. Uh, and when you pray, know before whom you stand. So uh, it's kind of interesting that the context uh, in the Talmud is when you pray, know before whom you stand. So it tells us that there's some kind of expectation when you come for prayer, like, you know, the Amidah, and, but, even, but communing with God uh, in some way, shape, or form. So we want to talk a little bit about that uh, uh, today, but we also uh, want to heed the admonition. Know before whom you stand. You need to know something about God. You know, if, if we're going to cultivate a particular attitude about God, we need to know some things uh, about, uh, about God. So by way of preparation, we want to be reminded of a few, of a few things. Right, And um, so I thought that just very briefly, I would just remind us of a few of the attributes of God. And the best place to look for them 
is in Exodus chapter 34. And by the way, if you're familiar with the Machzor, the traditional Machzor, this passage is repeated a whole bunch of times on Rosh Hashanah uh, in the liturgy to know, to remember who God is. Okay? And so, you know, when we uh, read a passage like this, uh, it's not uh, that we're saying, oh, now here's some brand new information that you never ever heard about God, right? But no, it is to remind us as we prepare for these holidays to remind us uh, who the Lord is. You know, it, it's interesting that uh, in the Mishnah, in, in the rabbinic literature, uh, it talks about the preparation of the high priest for uh, Yom Kippur. And it talks about how, you know, a week before he has to separate himself from his wife and he has to, and he, and he has to be in this uh, state of preparation. And then he needs a scribe to explain to him, to read to him again, what you do uh, on uh, Yom Kippur, what you do on Yom Kippur. Well, it's not like the high priest never knew what to do. Like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. No, it is reiterated. It's reading it over and over again. Uh, not just so that he would learn it, but that he might remember it and he might, it might be, uh, just in him and, the, and at the forefront, uh, of, uh, of his mind. Uh, and so I thought what I would do is, um, read them in Hebrew because there's one particular, uh, little part of it, uh, that, uh, the, the Hebrew is very helpful. And uh, for us to, uh, to help us understand. Okay, so uh, the passage begins, uh, we can stop there. Now, I know you caught all that, okay? Good. But there's one little part that um, uh, I read that in Hebrew for a particular reason. Uh, when we look at this passage, okay, and just by way of us uh, being reminded, Moses uh, says, Lord, reveal yourself. Show yourself to me, right? Okay, he's up on the mountain, and here he's going to receive for the second time the, the uh, commandments, right? Okay, so uh, we see, uh, then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth uh, generations. So what is he saying here? He reveals himself via his attributes. Okay, God reveals himself here not in uh, a way where, we can, where he defines himself by what he's made of. He's everywhere, you know, he's all-knowing. But by the way he relates to human beings. Each one of these attributes is 
a way that God relates to us. So when we say know before whom you stand, it's not about uh, a, system, a course on systematic theology. It's not a course on, some, on uh, uh, intellectual, uh, attaining intellectual knowledge about God. But when we say know before whom you stand, how does he relate to us? And as you know, knowing in Hebrew is more than simply uh, facts and figures. It is relating. The same word is used for the intimacy of a husband and a wife. And so when we say know before whom you stand, the question for us is as we prepare for the high holy days, we might be able to pride ourselves on lots of knowledge and lots of understanding of the holidays and, and uh, 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 you know, preparing by, by understanding here are all the moral attributes of God. You know, here are the amoral attributes. You know, amoral attributes are, are not non-moral attributes, of course, but uh, the, the attributes of God that define uh, his, uh, his being, right? Uh, but the question for us and the challenge for us is, are we relating? God? Do we know before whom we stand? If you ever wondered, why is it that when I pray, I just fall asleep? Uh, you know, let me ask you something. If you were uh, standing before uh, uh, you know, someone whom you really, uh, who, who holds an office, whether you like the person or not, or you agree with them, if you're standing, if you're standing in the Oval Office talking to the President of the United States, regardless of whoever that is, my guess is you're not going to fall asleep. Okay, my guess is you're not going to say, wait, where was I? What? Huh? I'm, uh, you know, I'll get back to you tomorrow on that, right? No, uh, that there's a, something profound about the office. Uh, with other people, there's something profound about the individual, just someone who's really important in your own life, you know, uh, uh, who may not be famous or hold uh, an office of great value, but someone who's just really Im- important to you. Why is it that you don't fall asleep? Because there's something that you know that causes you to relate to them in a particular uh, a kind of way. Uh, and, uh, and so it is uh, when it comes uh, uh, to God. So when we look at these attributes and we see how we relate to God, first it says slow to anger, slow to anger. You see, God is not desirous of being angry. He does not like to be angry, right? Now, uh, you know, I should have had the kids in here uh, for this because, uh, you know, contrary to what most kids think, most parents don't like being angry. Don't like, you know, everybody gets angry, right? Have any of you that are parents never been angry at your children? Never, never been angry at them. Okay, if I see a hand, you're a liar, okay? <laughs> all right, I'm just going with that, all right? Okay, uh, we all have been angry at our children. Why? Because they disobey. It's not a sin to be angry. It's a sin if we do really bad things to them. You know, we hurt them and abuse them, things of that nature, right? But it is not a sin to be angry at our children. It's sort of like an important mechanism. And so we correct them. Now, sometimes we like correcting them because it's a great teachable moment. And there's nothing wrong with that, of course. But sometimes, you know, when we're correcting them, we would much rather go get an ice cream cone with them. You know, we would much rather have just a great little time with them, right? But... Right? You have to do what you have to do because we're parents and we're called to raise our children to be healthy adults. 
but it's not like we enjoy it or something like, yes, sirree, here we go, right? If there is something wrong with you, all right? Okay, what is he really saying? Okay, so God is slow to anger, okay? Uh, he does not desire to be angry, but sometimes he is. So it, it really, uh, uh, the fact of the matter is, he's slow to anger. That's why it says that he's compassionate and that he's gracious and abounding in loving kindness. He's compassionate. He understands us. He understands our difficulties. He understands that we're vulnerable. He knows our weak spots. He understands it. And certainly in the coming of Messiah, we read in the book of Hebrews that he identifies with his brethren according to the flesh in a very unique kind of way. And so when you're frustrated, he understands. When you're concerned about, you know, when you're up late at night, which is when you worry the most, by the way, uh, he knows when you got those financial issues and he knows when you're, you know, you're, you're tempted to do something you probably shouldn't do. He knows uh, your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. He knows you better than you do. Okay? And so he's compassionate. And he's gracious, which means that he gives us undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. See? Now, sometimes we have a hard time with that because we don't know what it's like to physically either give undeserved favor or receive it. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like the old uh, uh, Gary Chapman um, love languages thing. You know, are you familiar with that? That, uh, you know, uh, I, I, receive, uh, I receive love a certain way, so that must be the way everybody understands it, so I give it that way, right? When the, the, the underlying truth in that is, is that we have a hard time experiencing things that are not the way we do them. And so if we're not used to uh, the sense of graciousness of giving others undeserved favor, we may have a very difficult time receiving it or even contemplating it, right? Because, you know, people deserve what they get, after all. And so that must be the way God acts with me. So therefore, I deserve what I get. And so how can God be gracious? How could it really be? I don't really feel that. Well, you see, that's why God is different. See, God is perfect. His emotions uh, are the emotions that we should experience as image bearers of him, right? And so he is gracious uh, uh, to us, and he is forgiving. And uh, in uh, the text in, uh, in Hebrew, it's very interesting. You know, there's a few different words in Hebrew for forgive, but this is a fascinating one, and it's also in a few of the Psalms. When David prays uh, for forgiveness, I think in Psalm 32 to be exact, but, but here, uh, here it is. He says, no say avon, no say avon. That is the, uh, Hebrew for he forgives our iniquities. Well, you know, nasa is a very interesting word. It means to lift up. That's what it means. He lifts up our iniquities. He takes another word. He takes them off of us. He removes them from us. He lifts them off of us. And that is explained in Isaiah 53 when it says he, he takes our sins upon himself, right? And, and that is, and in, so but in English, the word forgive is used. Uh, but literally, it's, he lifts up 
our iniquities, takes them off of us. This is who God is. When Moses says, who are you? Show me yourself. This is who he is. Full of grace, full of mercy, and then abounding in loving kindness. Not just full of loving kindness, but abounding in loving kindness, right? Uh, you know, uh, uh, if this was, uh, what's the name of that Bible? That sounds like, not the audible Bible, the uh, amplified. I love that. The amplified Bible, right? In the amplified Bible, you amplify it, right? He's abounding in loving kindness, right? I think if, if you like press the right button on that Bible, you get that. I don't know. But, but anyway, he's abounding in loving kindness. Chesed, chesed, right? Uh, just a word with uh, a tremendous depth and meaning, but basically loyal love and everything that goes along with that. Loyal love. Whew. That is who God is. And isn't it amazing that these words are used in the law, in the Old Testament, right? Not in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament where there's lots of laws and judgment, right? This is how God is described. This is indeed who God is. But does he uh, uh, let us off? Oh, by the way, truthful, I, I forgot. Truthful, when it says he's full of truth, it doesn't mean that uh, he doesn't lie. It means that he's faithful. He's like the rock, the solid rock. That's what that means there in that context. He's, he's true, like true blue, you know, true to who he is true to his word and faithfulness, okay? But then it says he doesn't let the guilty go unpunished. Now, as usual, oftentimes when people read this, we focus on the very minor part of it and miss the, the, like, the meaning of the text. When he talks about a thousand generations and then the third and fourth generation, may I suggest that what he's simply doing is saying that uh, his love and compassion and mercy and loving kindness far outseeds, far outdoes, far outweighs his judgment. That's the point of that. Don't worry about what generation you are from a sinner in your family. You're missing the point. He is abounding in loving kindness. See? But he doesn't let us off the hook. And when you read, uh, all you have to do is read about the people of the covenant, the chosen people. God does not let the Jewish people off the hook. Yet, yet, he is abounding in loving kindness. Yet, uh, he is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger. That is the one before whom we stand. That is the one whom we approach. You see, if it was just all about judgment, I don't know about you, but... I probably would be hiding under the table somewhere and frankly afraid to approach him. Not with what we usually refer to as the fear of the Lord, but with just absolute, absolute horror of the Lord or, uh, be, being, uh, or being terrified uh, of the Lord. And that is not what God desired from the people. Even at Sinai, his desire is that they would approach him but they were fearful. And as we will learn in our Torah course at MSI, that had some very interesting ramifications about being afraid of God. He does not want us to be afraid of him, but he wants us to know who he is so that we relate to him appropriately. And so during this season, 
of the high holy days and of approaching these high holy days, perhaps it might do us well to dwell on these attributes, to meditate on them, to read them every single day. Not so that we learn something new and interesting that we can share in a Bible study or something, but just to meditate. Just go over it, over it, over it again and again and again. Because I think that even though we know this, we don't always know before whom we stand. And you know, in all of that grace and mercy and compassion and loving kindness, as well as uh, chastisement and discipline, God sent the Messiah into this world to um, articulate those attributes, so to speak, before our very eyes. And so when you read the gospel accounts of the life of Yeshua, you are seeing these attributes come to life in Messiah. And for that matter, when you read the entire Brit Hadashah, when you read about, uh, you know, imitate the Lord, uh, Paul says, imitate me. It's basically... Uh, articulate those characteristics in your life because that's how we relate to God. We relate to God uh, in these, uh, you know, in these attributes. And that's why on Rosh Hashanah, they're repeated over and over again in the synagogue so that we might remember who God is. When we sound the shofar, we might remember who he is. He's not grandpa in the sky, nor is he the worst case uh, scenario of an abusive parent, okay? He's just right. He is perfect. And he relates to us perfectly. The question is, do we embrace him? Do we know before whom we stand? And so this morning, as we have Messiah's table, may we remember that we stand before the God of Israel. We stand before Hashem, Adonai, we stand before Elohim. We stand before Yeshua HaMashiach. This is before whom we stand. Who does indeed judge our works. He judges who we are. But he's also forgiving. He lifts up our sins and takes them away from us when we embrace him. He is compassionate. He is merciful. Uh, he is gracious and abounding in loving kindness. And so let us remember these attributes as we participate in Messiah's table, as we identify with Yeshua, the one who is all of these attributes together. All right, and, uh, and so perhaps you might want to read uh, Exodus uh, 34 uh, for the next few minutes as you receive uh, the cup and the matzah, and then we will uh, participate uh, together. And participating in Messiah's table is really a holy moment, a holy time a very separated time. This is something that Yeshua commanded us to participate in. But as we read, especially in 1 Corinthians, that it's something that's never to be taken lightly, never to be taken as, oh, this is interesting, or tacked on to the service, and, uh, or, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's a moment of communing with God in a very unique and holy way. And we do it together because in communing with God in this unique and holy way, we are communing with each other, each of us who've embraced Yeshua, in whom the Ruach HaKodesh dwells. We are, uh, there's many metaphors and pictures that are used in, in the New Covenant, but we are the body of Messiah, see? The living body of Messiah. There is an organic unity that we have. It's what we're made of spiritually, in other words, see? 
And so there is an organic unity that we have with, with Yeshua himself and an organic unity that we have uh, uh, together. It's as if, if you drew a circle and put Yeshua in the middle. That's who we are. Okay. And so uh, let's um, take some time to meditate on these things. Uh, and uh, as you receive uh, uh, the elements, let's uh, just have a time of meditation uh, and uh, uh, knowing before whom we stand. So in talking about knowing in whom uh, you stand, remember the context of that in the uh, Talmud. When you pray, know before whom you stand. Okay? And so when we're talking about entering into the presence of God and uh, a sense of his holiness and interacting with God, whether we're talking about Messiah's table, coming for the high holy day service, coming for every Shabbat, and we enter in. Uh, and I, I believe that we truly desire it. You know, well, at least most of us anyway. That we really desire some type of interaction with God that I go away encouraged or challenged somehow uh, that uh, I have... Uh, you know, I, that I can say it has been good to be in the house of the Lord, that I've experienced the presence of God in some way. And so one way is the cultivation of a prayer life, right? And of course, this morning, all I'm going to really do is uh, point out a couple of verses and exhort us uh, to be engaged uh, in that, given the time that we have. But there is a, um, there is a passage I believe it is in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke 18 in verse 9. He also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves. That's an important part of understanding this parable. That they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax gatherer. Now, if this was today, perhaps we would say, let me tell you a story. Did you hear the one? about the Pharisee and the tax gatherer, okay? The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, uh, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. We could say, in the context of what we're talking about, that the tax collector knew before whom he stood, whereas the Pharisee, who knew a lot, knew a lot, did not really know before whom he stood. And it's interesting to notice it says the Pharisee prayed to himself. Now, isn't that the case oftentimes with us? That we're praying for varieties of reasons. We're praying to tell somebody something. Uh, we're praying to encourage someone. In other words, we're really talking to somebody else. But we're, you know, it's sort of like going up and then taking a left turn, you know, sort of. You know, uh, uh, or... Sometimes we do this, Lord, this is who I am. Lord, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, right? Uh, or just, Lord, uh, give me this, give me that, give me this, give me that, or fix this, fix this, fix this, fix this. The question we only we can ask ourselves, and only we know, is what's motivating us? And 
Do we really know before whom we stand? Are, are we really praying to God? Why do I say that the, the, one, uh, the tax gatherer who was an outsider, who was a, per, a persona non gratis, you know, uh, 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 someone who is uh, just um, uh, not welcome, not a, uh, understood as a religious person, just pray, Lord, have mercy on me. He knew before whom he stood. He knew the attributes of God. He knew that God was compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And he also knew that you're not off the hook, that God leaves not the guilty unpunished. That's why he says, Lord, have mercy on me. He knew who he was. He knew who God was and he knew who he was. He had a good self-understanding. He knew that he was not worthy of of being in the presence of God, yet God is a welcoming God and Lord and welcomes us in. We need to ask ourselves, are we more like the tax gatherer or the Pharisee? Do we say to ourselves, well, I'm very active in the congregation. I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. And so therefore, you know, that's a good thing and I'm kind of right with God. Or do we approach the whole thing as God is merciful and compassionate? and allowing me to uh, participate. Well, we don't have time to go through this whole thing, but I just wanted to say to us that what we really need to do, and what we're talking about here, is cultivating in our hearts an awareness of God. That's how you come to the place of being able to pray that way. That's how you come to the place of, of being able to really pray fervently, really, to God, not just talking about prayer. You know, someone wrote a book, uh, sometime over the past few years, I read a little bit of it. <laughs> it's called Not a Fan. Maybe anybody of you ever read that book? Read a little bit of it. The point of it is, is that um, uh, we spend way too we spend way too much time as spectators uh, in our walk with God, and not participants in our walk with God. In other words, we uh, we sort of view it from afar. The more I know about, it's like reading, if I read a good book about prayer and I read the whole book, now I got prayer down. Or, or if, um, you know, uh, I read a book about not being worried, if I'm worried, and so I read a book about not being worried and I read the whole book, now I got it down. That is being a bystander. That's learning all about it, but not participating in it. How do we participate? We participate by approaching God coming to him by being in the game, so to speak. And that means we pray. That means we interact with God. And this is a cultivated relationship. You don't usually just wake up one day and now, you know, I just have this intimate relationship with God. It's a lifelong cultivation. But as long as we stay on the road and we do one rung of the ladder at a time, we're in good shape. And so how do we cultivate this relationship with God? How do we cultivate this kind of uh, prayer life? Well, there's, oh, there are so many things we could do. But let me just mention uh, a few of them, okay? One is meditating on the Word of God, meditating on God, okay? Uh, you read about it in Psalm 1, but I, don't, I would say not, don't just read about meditating on the Word of God. Meditate on the Word of God. There are many great passages. There are many great prayers, for example, to read in the Bible. You know, if, in other words, here, here is like, so to speak, killing two birds with one stone. Meditate on a prayer in the Bible. That way, you're meditating on the Word of God and actually praying at the same time. 
First of all, take the book of Psalms. There's 150 to choose from, which have all the emotions. If you're really angry at someone, there are Psalms for that. There are prayers for that in the book of Psalms. If you are depressed and you don't know why you're depressed and you just can't get out of bed in the morning, there's Psalms for that because there are people who wrote Psalms that were experiencing that very thing. If you are just exhilarated and like to play loud musical instruments, there are Psalms for that as well, okay? There are Psalms that, that talk about the joy of the Torah. There are Psalms that talk about, if you're convicted of sin, just convicted of sin, and you feel like, I cannot even approach God. I can't even pray. There's Psalms for that too, okay? Uh, and so you have 150 to choose from. Not only that, but there are wondrous Psalms and prayers all over the Bible. Read the narratives, read the stories, like in Genesis. One of the things you're going to notice about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is that they prayed a lot. They prayed a lot. If you Google, not Google, if you look up in a concordance, pray or prayer, you're going to see it's all over the Torah. What? Where's the command? It's in the narratives. And if you understand the Torah correctly, you understand that the narratives are part of the instruction, see? And so uh, we see prayer all over uh, the place, right? And so uh, meditate on the word, meditate on the stories, the narratives, uh, reflect on the, on the Psalms, read them, not to parse the verbs at this particular time. There's a time and a place for that, or to understand the source of each of the Psalms. And no, just read them. Just read them and, and apply the, uh, the emotional import, uh, to your own, uh, to your own life. Okay? Reflect on portions of the new covenant, like, you know, in Ephesians chapter one and in Ephesians chapter three, there are two really dynamic prayers there that Paul prays for the Ephesians, that they might understand the depth of God and, and, uh, and, you know, and, and appreciate who he is and draw closer to him. Read them and read them over and over and over again. By doing these things, we cultivate a, a worldview. We cult we're renewing our mind is what we're doing. We're renewing our mind when we do that. See? When the Bible says renew your mind, that's not something that's like up in the clouds, renew your mind. No, it's think differently. You think differently by meditating on these things in the scriptures, okay? Uh, and then uh, I will say this, avoid counterproductive activity, right? Like harboring sin in your heart. If you, if you have sin in your heart and you're holding grudges and, uh, you know, and things of that nature, or, you know, and you're not forgiving people, or you don't even desire to, it's hard to cultivate intimacy with God. But you got to start somewhere. So if you're harboring sin in your heart, meditate on the Word of God. Meditate on it. Pray those prayers in the Bible, even if you don't feel like it. Oh, this is major. Especially if you don't feel like it, right? Especially if you don't feel like it. There are times, maybe for us, many of us, more times than not, when I just don't feel like praying. Well, you know, when do you really feel like praying? Sometimes, I hope. But I think for many of us, we just never feel like praying. We're just not in the groove, right? You know, I've been kind of like far from God, and so I just don't feel like... I watch other people pray. Or I'll listen to Howard talk about prayer. Then I feel good about it. No, pray, you know? 
uh, uh, re, again, if you can't just sit there and pray, then pray words from the Bible, the Bible prayers. And you will see that you will begin to cultivate, first of all, if you're harboring sin in your heart, you begin to cultivate conviction. Uh, you'll begin to cultivate it and, and you'll confess it. To, this is what you'll do. You'll confess it to God. And that's the beginning of this road of repentance and, and bearing the fruit of it. See, we got to prepare ourselves by beginning somewhere. All right. We have in our bulletin, those prayer sheets. There's something to pray for. You can pray that. You can pray it over and over again if you just don't know what to pray. See, uh, watch the news and take notes, and then pray. That'll give you enough to pray about, right? Uh, And so there's plenty to pray about. You don't have to use King James English to pray, right? And you don't have to just simply pray about that the food in my refrigerator won't spoil, or, you know, that my tires won't deflate on my way to work, and whatever. Those things you can pray for too, but you run out of those things, and then we get bored. You know, we can praise God. Let's say you don't know how. Read Psalm 1, pray Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in in me. You know, let me bless his name. And then it says, don't forget all these things. And so there you go. So there's plenty to pray about. And that is, when we talk about cultivating a life of God, a life in God, know before whom you stand. You can't do it without literally praying, okay? It doesn't work otherwise. Knowing the Lord is not graduating from school. When we teach classes and focus on like Hebrew and Greek and take hermeneutics and study this and study, the goal of that is to be able to draw us closer to God because it's all centered around his word, not just to have knowledge, right? I think there's some appropriate verses in 1 Corinthians that apply about having knowledge. It can puff up. Love edifies. It doesn't mean that all knowledge puffs up and we should never gain knowledge. There are many communities of faith that kind of hold that kind of thing. But, but not us. Uh, knowledge is important so that we may know God better, so that we may know before whom we stand. If you want to pray, pray for me. You know, it's hard to know before whom you stand every week. And so, you know, uh, pray for me. Pray that I would know before whom I stand. I need prayer in that. Because, you know, uh, you, you uh, have a service every single week and you got to make sure everything's going correctly. You know, you can lose the focus. Pray for me. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our elders. Pray for Chris and Jerry and Jeff. That we would know before whom we stand. For how can we ask others to know before whom we stand and to really develop this devotional life, uh, cultivating this life of awareness of God, if we're not doing it, the ceiling becomes kind of low. Pray for our shamashim. Pray for all of our ministry leaders. Pray for everybody in our music ministry that we know before whom we stand. Because you know what? Most of the time, most of the time, a congregation doesn't move past the leadership. Doesn't. I mean, it can happen. May it happen, but it doesn't usually happen. Usually, if the leadership senses this and, and is moving forward, the congregation notices it and begins acting. Let me tell you something. That happen- I'm not going to say how or in what way, but that happens here in very physical ways. That if the leadership engage in something, 
people begin to do it. People see that you're doing something, people begin to do it. That's the nature of leadership, you see? And so I I pray for our leaders that we would know before whom we stand because I believe that as we know before whom we stand, we will all move forward. If Moses could not move forward, then the the children of Israel were not going to say, hey, come on, Moses. No, they were only going to go as far as Moses uh, led them. Then in another arena, we're all leaders when we compare ourselves to outside the walls. If we as a community know before whom we stand and we live in such a way, we will make a difference in the community we're in. It won't require slogans. It won't require, uh, you know, all kinds of ways of figuring out how to get attention. We will make a difference in our community if we as a community know before whom we stand and we live in such a way, right? Uh, And so as we approach Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, may we prepare our hearts. May we cultivate an awareness of God today in the Oneg, in the Torah study, tonight, tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, And then as we begin this journey together on Wednesday night and Thursday, and then for the next 10 days, and then on uh, Yom Kippur, and then for the next five days, and then for uh, Sukkot. What a great opportunity of journeying together this is. And so I am excited about it. Not rah-rah excited. Excited about what God will do in our midst as we stand before him, knowing before whom we stand. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I pray, God, uh, that as Moses spoke to the children of Israel on the plains of Moab, saying, today you stand before the Lord your God. May we realize, Lord, that today we stand before the Lord our God. Lord, and I pray, God, not for quick fixes and, and recipes of change, but that we might relate to you in the way that we do. Lord, and that we might begin to know you better. Lord, I pray that we would meditate on these attributes, on compassion, on your compassion, and on your grace, and on your discipline and on your loving kindness. Lord, uh, over the next few days, may we really begin to cultivate that awareness of you in all facets of our life. As Paul says, uh, may we think on things above, not on things below. Let us put on the new self, all those things, and walk in a manner worthy of the calling, knowing that you know us, you understand us. And so, Lord, may we please you. May we please you, Lord. And so, God, we do pray for this journey of these high holy days. May it change us, Lord. May we become more conformed to your image, to your likeness, and may we be a testimony uh, of your attributes uh, to our community. And we pray in Messiah's name.